You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. If we're believing God for a revival, for an awakening, for the Lord to fall and snap the chains that are over this country and over this city and over many church people, if we're believing God to show up and show off, if we're believing God to do a new thing, shall we not know it? If we're believing God to move in a fresh way, to shake the building as it were that we're in, to shake people, to move in a way that will rock our world and change our life and change the life of this city. Come on, everybody. yearning for a big change in your life? Are you tired of being stuck in your old ways with no hope on the horizon? Today, Pastor Jeff wants you to surpass all you've known and surrender your heart to Jesus. His embrace holds the key to unlocking a fruitful, purpose-driven life. True transformation begins when you give all the control to God and His perfect plan. Break free from your circumstances by giving yourself entirely to God's boundless love. He is the catalyst for change. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Acts chapter four as he continues his message, Critical Mass. The Bible says, being let go, they went to their own companions. Notice who they headed for. They went straight to their own people, straight to the church, straight to prayers. And they told them, all the chief priests and elders had said to them, so when they, the rest of the church, had heard that, I want you to read with me what they did, everybody. They raised their voice to God. How? With one accord. And that's the prayer of agreement. That's telling us they raised their voice to God and they symphonized like a great symphony. And man, they prayed and they asked God to intervene. They said, God, you saw what just happened to us. And we're asking you to take this and deal with this. And we're just coming to you, Lord, in prayer. And they prayed unitedly to God. And I want you to notice what happened. Finally, their prayer reached critical mass. Everybody say critical mass. Their prayer reached critical mass. Look what happened. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. Whole lot of shaking going on. You know, God likes shaking things. God likes shaking things. How many of you can say he has shaken my world every once in a while? Listen, God does it. In another time, when they were in the Philippian jail, they sang hymns to God and they prayed to God. And what did God do? He shook the prison. So here he shook the prison and here he shook where they prayed. And look what he did. The place was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, I want you to notice they prayed together corporately, locked hands, locked faith. They prayed for the same thing. They symphonized, and three things happened. The place where they were gathered was shaken, as if God was saying, I heard your prayer. And then they were filled. And then once they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they had boldness. The boldness that they were struggling with since they had been threatened, don't preach in this name anymore. Suddenly, they were filled with boldness. They went out and they rocked the Roman world. So I want you to see that prayer in this mighty prayer of agreement, God shook the building, filled them with the Holy Ghost, filled them with boldness needed to carry on their mighty ministry. So when persecuted, the early church prayed together, and that was the key to their world-changing ministry. It's prayer. Everybody say with me, it's prayer. It's not 
education, although I believe in education, but education doesn't rock things spiritually. No, 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 no. It wasn't education. It wasn't their pedigree. It wasn't their looks. They were ignorant fishermen and blue-collar workers by and large, and yet they prayed, and when they prayed, the mighty Holy Spirit fell. The building was shaking. Can you imagine if we were gathered in here right now, and all of a sudden this building began to shake, not by an earthquake, but by the power of the Holy Ghost? So when they were persecuted, what did they do? They prayed. Now, another time I see they prayed. They practiced corporate prayer when things looked hopeless. When things looked hopeless. Now, we read in the book of Acts that the day came when wicked King Herod, quote, stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Now, we're informed that he had already killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now, you'll recall that the first four disciples that Jesus called were two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew, two brothers, and James and John, John that wrote the Revelation in 1, 2, and 3 John. So two sets of brothers Jesus called first. He said, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. I will change you, transform you. I'm going to completely revamp and renovate your life and your world. You're no longer going to catch fish. You're going to catch men. So I want you to follow me. So these two sets of brothers followed Jesus, Peter and Andrew and James and John. And it's that James that Herod had killed with the sword, that James. They had left their livelihoods. When Jesus called these four brothers, they left their livelihoods it says that James and John's father was standing right there mending the nets with them when Jesus called them and not him. He called the brothers and not the father. And he said, follow me. And the father watched his two boys walk away. They left father. They left mother. They left loved ones. They left their job, their career, their livelihood, familiar surroundings. And they began to follow Jesus everywhere he went, they went. That's discipleship. When he says, give it up, you give it up. When he says, walk away, you walk away. When he says, embrace something, you embrace it. When he says, let it go, you let it go. And they followed him. And it was this James who Herod thrust through with a sword, killed him. John, when he wrote 1, 2, and 3, John in the book of Revelation, had the memory and the pain of his brother James being martyred, murdered by this Herod, wicked Herod. So of the, of the four originally called disciples, one of them has already been killed, and now Herod's after the second one, the main man, Simon Peter, the rock, the strength of the early church before Paul came on the scene. And it says of Herod, because he saw that it, that is James' murder, pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. He put him in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him now, four squads of soldiers and 16 men. 16 men were put around Simon Peter. Herod also bound him with two chains in between two other soldiers. So he's got him locked in prison. He's got him chained up, chained to a wall. He's got 16 Roman guards surrounding one man. You think he was uptight about Peter disappearing? Now, the Bible tells us what was in Herod's brain. He planned to keep Peter in prison for the duration of what's called the Days of Unleavened Bread. The Days of Unleavened Bread lasted eight days. Eight days. And after the Days of Unleavened Bread, 
It says he planned to bring Peter out, make him walk the perp walk in front of all the angry Jews, be tortured to their liking. The Bible records that he was going to do what they wanted him to do to Peter and then kill him. So here he is, Simon Peter, chained up, 16 Roman guards looking at him, two chained with him, to him, right there. And already his death sentence had been pronounced by Herod. After this holiday, this festival is over, I'm going to kill him. The church knew that James had already been martyred. So what would stop Herod from doing it again? It looked like a done deal. But the Bible says, I want you to notice something, everybody. We need to learn this, especially with the days that are coming. I want you to notice. Remember that I said this, because the days that are coming are not real positive for the church in the West. I'm not talking negative. I'm talking truth. I don't believe in lying. I'm not going to get up here and tell you, oh, everything's going to be great. I'm going to tell you persecution is raising its head. And so I want you to remember what I said here today. I'm not just up here whistling Dixie or trying to get by with another sermon. I want you to hear this now. The Bible says that when all of this came down on Peter, and again, he was their rock. Jesus had said, I'm going to make you a rock. He said, when you come back from your fall, from your denial, I'm going to reestablish you, and you're going to be a strength to the brethren. Peter was daddy. He was a rock. He was the lead disciple. He was the man who walked down the street and his shadow healed people on the curbside. This is Simon Peter, who walked on water. Yeah, he sank, but that boy walked on water for a while. Nobody else has ever done that. The Bible says that the early church did not sit wringing their hands going, oh well. They didn't give in to the inevitable and they did not cave to a spirit of fear. The Bible says, they said this to themselves, we got eight days to pray. We have eight days to pray, eight days for God to turn this thing around. I love that. And the Bible says, listen to this, constant. Everybody say constant. Constant. And that means strenuous, heartfelt, persistent, around-the-clock prayer was offered to God for him by the church. They prayed in prayer shifts. I don't know how it was split up. But they prayed all night long, all day long. They said, we've got eight days for God to move. Eight days for God to do something. Eight days. So let's pray. So they symphonized. They came together. And they were believing. They were believing for a mighty miracle, a breakthrough that somehow, some way, Simon Peter would be delivered. And God heard it. I love what follows. Oh, I love this. This blesses me. If it doesn't bless you, you need to get saved. Because on what was to be Peter's last night, everybody say 1159. We serve in 1159, 59 God. Have you ever noticed that? And I wish he wasn't that way sometimes, but he does that so that we will learn to wait and trust him right down to the last minute. So on the last night, what would have been Peter's last night on earth, and the next morning, Herod's going to bring him out and do what he had planned. But critical mass was reached in prayer that night. The Bible records all at once, an angel of the Lord was seen standing beside Peter. A light shone in the building, and it was not a 100-watt light bulb. There were no light bulbs, no fluorescent bulbs. This was holy light 
divine light, angel light, spiritual light. He hit Peter on the side and said, get up. Then the chains fell off his hands. The angel said, put on your belt and shoes. He did. The angel said to Peter, put on your coat and follow me. Peter followed him out. He was not sure what was happening as the angel helped him. He thought it was a dream. I'm having a good dream before they kill me. They passed one soldier, then another one. And they just stood there stupefied. These soldiers, they were in a stupor. A Holy Ghost, supernatural, paralyzing stupor. They stood there like wooden Indians as he walked by them. Everybody say supernatural. Oh, please get a hold of this church. I want you to please see that corporate prayer, symphonizing prayer, the prayer of agreement with God's people released a mighty, supernatural, unbelievable, miraculous breakthrough and deliverance. Oh, yeah. I'm going to read it again. They passed one soldier, then another one. <laughs> I wonder if Peter waved at them. They came to the big iron door. Oh, I love this. They came to the big iron door that leads to the city, and it opened by itself. And they went through. And as soon as they had gone up the street, or one street, the angel left him. And Peter began to see what was happening. He said to himself, now I am sure the Lord has sent his angel and has taken me out of the hands of Herod. He has taken me also from all the things the Jews wanted to do to me. And what gets me is he goes knocking on the door where everybody's in there praying and nobody believes he's there. Talk about believing God for your prayers to be answered. Nobody believed that they had been answered. The girl goes to the door and looks out and he says, I'm Peter. And she says, runs back in and tells the prayers, it's Peter out there. And they said, it can't be. That's impossible. Stop it. You're acting silly. Don't talk silly. Lord, set Peter free. We're continuing our prayer, set Peter free. <laughs> hey, isn't it good to know that even when you're not believing good when you're praying, God will still answer. And when your faith is faulty, he still answers. Here's the deal. Herod should have killed him immediately because when he gave the church eight days to pray, it was eight days too long. When he gave the church eight days to pray, it was eight days too long. A satanic assignment that would have crippled the church at this time in their early growth was canceled, and Peter's life was saved. So the early church prayed together when they were persecuted. They prayed together when things looked hopeless. Do things look hopeless for you today? What is it in your life that's looking hopeless? What is it in your life that you're wondering how the world God going to take care of this? Let me ask you, have you gotten a group of Christians together to pray in agreement with you? Because there is power in agreement. And I do know this, when you pray according to the will of God and you hang in there and you persist and you don't give up, and especially if you bring in people to pray with you, critical mass will be reached and God will finally move and a breakthrough will come some way, somehow, someday it will come. Or God's a liar, and I know God's not a liar. Amen? Everybody say critical mass. How many of you need critical mass to be reached in your life? Come on. Come on. Raise your hand and give me a wave offering. Almost everybody in here. Amen. Now, finally, the church prayed corporately when they waited for the Holy Spirit. When they waited for the Holy Spirit. When they waited for the power of God. When they were believing God to pour out his spirit, they prayed corporately. Before returning to heaven... Jesus had told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem to, quote, to wait for the promise of the Father. For John truly baptized you with water, but you are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
And based on that promise, they went in and they got into an upper room. And 120 of them got into the upper room. All the disciples were there, all the apostles. Mother Mary was there. Mary Magdalene was there. The women who had followed Jesus and contributed to his ministry were there. 120 people were in the upper room and 120 people gathered together and began to symphonize in prayer. They began to pray. They began to agree together in the place of prayer. Lord, now I want you to notice, even though Jesus had promised it, they still had to pray it in. They could have just said, well, he promised it, so let's just sit around and chew the fat and wait for it to fall. No, they said he promised it, so now we're gonna believe God and pray to God to send it. I don't know why God requires us to pray for his promises, but he does. And so when you got somebody in your life, a lost loved one, or you have some need for a job or whatever it might be, yes, God has promised to give it to you, but we must also pray for it. And they prayed together and they began to call out on God day after day. They called out on God. And you know the rest of the story. On the day of Pentecost, their prayers reached critical mass. I love reading this. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all, look at how it describes them. They were all with one accord, symphonizing, agreeing together, playing one chord, in one accord, playing one chord, same chord, same song, same request. And they were in one place. And suddenly, everybody say suddenly. Do you know that things can change in a microsecond, suddenly? I love that word, suddenly, because it says things can look one way, one minute, and suddenly, God can change the whole picture, suddenly. You can be down in a pit, wondering how you're going to get out, and suddenly, God reaches down and pulls you out of that horrible pit, sets your feet on a rock, establishes your going, puts a new song in your mouth, and what was dark is now light. What was impossible is now possible. What was just really difficult is now blessed. Suddenly, suddenly, there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. As I was reading this last night, it occurred to me, they didn't hear a sound outside. I but it was in the house. It was where wind doesn't blow. It was in the house. Suddenly, there was a rushing mighty wind and it filled the inside of the whole house. And fire began to appear over all their heads. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Did you know that the church of Jesus Christ, this church, us, we were birthed in a prayer meeting, a corporate prayer meeting. We were birthed in a prayer of agreement because when the Spirit of God fell, that was the church's birthday. Now, I got to tell you, folks, my life was changed by Jesus Christ. But here's where I want to go with this. I want you to notice something. As they came together to pray for the power of God, again, let me ask you, how many of you want the power of God to fall? How many of you really want to see the power? How many of you could use a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit on your life? All right, I want you to notice something. When they came together to pray, they were in one accord in one place. They were in symphony. They were praying for the same thing. And they prayed for days. They prayed for days. And suddenly the power fell. Now, I'm not saying that you've got to sit and pray for days before God will give you 
the power of the Holy Spirit. But what I am saying is, if we're believing God for a revival, for an awakening, for the Lord to fall and snap the chains that are over this country and over this city and over many church people, if we're believing God to show up and show off, if we're believing God to do a new thing, shall we not know it? If we're believing God to move in a fresh way, to shake the building as it were that we're in, to shake people, to move in a way that will rock our world and change our life and change the life of this city. Come on, everybody. So if we're believing God for this, then the way to see it come to pass is corporate prayer, symphonizing together. And in my own life, I went to a prayer meeting when I was 18 years old. I've been saved when I was 16, but I went to a prayer meeting when I was 18 years old. I had never seen men lift their hands to Jesus. It freaked me out. I thought something was wrong with them. I wondered if I'd gone into a place where they had something wrong with them and they all had to kind of do this because of what was wrong with them. I walked into a prayer meeting and it was in a house and it was a bunch of long-haired guys like me, hippie types like me. And I walked in and I stood there in the back of the group. I'd been invited by two old friends and I walked in and I'm standing there and I see these men these young men, I'm talking 18, 19, 20, tears streaming down their face, their eyes looking up to heaven. And there was a power in that room that I had never experienced before. I didn't know what it was, but I watched what they had. And they were singing, you know, God is so good, kumbaya, simple little songs, just guitars. But something was in that room, a power. And I said that night, I said, Jesus, Whatever it takes for me to have that, I give it up. It was like the Lord said, say that one more time, Wickwire. Whatever it takes, Lord, I will give it all up to have that. And all of a sudden, this power fell on me. Let me tell you why I'm up here. I'm up here because of Jesus. But I'm also up here because Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. And when he sent the Holy Spirit, let me tell you, I'm a great debtor to the Holy Spirit. I owe where I am to the mighty touch of the Holy Spirit because that night the Holy Spirit fell upon me in a way that I could never have dreamed possible. I could not believe that God was so real. I broke out of the group. It was in this old house, two-story house in East Dallas. I walked out into the front yard and it just swept over me like wave after wave of liquid love. I finally had to say, Lord, if you don't stop, I'm going to die. I'm about to reach critical mass. You're going to have to stop or I'm going to die. And that night, God filled me, call it what you want, filled me, baptized me, touched me, whatever you want to call it. But the Holy Spirit came upon me and Jeff Wickwire was completely and totally changed. I became a young man on fire, not by might, not by power, but by the Holy Spirit of God. And I can tell you, through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come, but he brought me this far by grace, and grace will see me home. But it's the Holy Spirit. It's that power of the Holy Spirit. These men were transformed from hiding behind locked doors, cowards, to mighty men and women of God that shook the Roman world and changed it and turned it right side up. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And it came by corporate prayer. Saving me, they, they prayed together when persecuted. They prayed together when things looked hopeless. 
They prayed together when they needed the power of God. Now, is it any different for us? No, it's exactly the same. Do you know that by enlisting companions in prayer, you tap into a network of unwavering support? Even in the darkest times, the light of God's grace always shines through the unity of His people. Today, we learn from Pastor Jeff's message that the power of unity will always overcome times of despair and chaos. In moments when hope seems distant, invite fellow brothers and sisters into your prayer life and discover a renewed sense of strength. If you're interested in learning about Hardwired, Diane has some things to share. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard today, we'd like to know. You can call or text us at the following number and share your thoughts. That number to text is 817-484-4767. Once again, that's 817-484-4767. Thanks for being a part of this ministry and helping it continue to be an encouraging and uplifting resource for you and others. Now I'll hand it back to Daniel as he gives a preview of what's next. With the mounting pressures of this world, it can be hard to remain assured in the promises of God. With everyone telling you to believe in only what's tangible, God's promises can often be left forgotten. In his next message, Pastor Jeff speaks to the significance of maintaining a patient posture in prayer while awaiting God's response. Impatience yields to humble surrender as you place your desires at the feet of the Lord. Trust in His perfect timing and experience true purpose. Well, there's more Pastor Jeff has to share from the book of Psalms, so be sure to join us again. And if you missed any part of today's teaching, you can find it online at hardwired.org. We're so glad we could be part of your day today, and we pray you've been blessed by today's edition of Hardwired. Hardwired.